wherever you are in the world, I hope you are warm and safe and sound. It's been freezing here in Oklahoma the last couple of days. And chances are, if you're a big follower of the Heartland College Sports Podcast or any of the Heartland College Sports Podcast, you live in an area that's been really cold. So if you were able to make an excursion and end up on a beach in Florida or Hawaii or California or maybe even the British or U.S. Virgin Islands, you are definitely my hero. I raise my glass to you. Uh, You're also my hero if you work outside in this kind of weather. I'm Eric G. from 97.1 The Sports Animal in Tulsa. This is the Sooner Schooner Show. And coming up today, we're going to talk a lot about coaching, a lot about the ins and outs of coaching. OU finally named Zach Alley co-defensive coordinator. Uh, We'll talk about what that means. We'll talk about whether or not he's going to be the one calling plays. And we'll look at the fallout from Nick Saban leaving Alabama and explore what exactly does that mean for Oklahoma with all this fallout. And could we see something like that happen here at OU? But before we go any further, um, I always like to take this moment to ask you to give us a five-star rating and write a written review. The five-star rating helps us elevate our content, get it out to more people. The written review tells us more of what you want. If you take a screenshot of both those and send it to Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com, Pete's going to give you a Heartland College Sports koozie. Congratulations to Zach Alley on officially being named the co-defensive coordinator or one of three co-defensive coordinators at the University of Oklahoma. This is something that we have known now for a couple of weeks, but it didn't become official until the last few days. Now, if you missed last episode when we gave you kind of a full detailed rundown of Zach Alley and why he's the perfect fit for OU and why this is going to make so much sense for Brent Venables and sort of freeze him up to to run the program, do yourself a favor. Go back, listen to last week's episode. We lay all that out in detail. Today we're going to move forward with this, and I was talking to somebody that uh, knows OU pretty darn well. Okay, knows OU pretty darn well. And the biggest question I think any of us have with Zach Alley is whether or not he's going to call plays for the OU defense or is that going to be – Brent Venable's bailiwick. Is he still going to be the one that calls plays and is essentially the defensive coordinator at OU despite the fact that you've got three guys that have the title of co-defensive coordinator? Well, in talking to this person, what they have told me is that Brent Venables at some point will probably relinquish those duties, but Venables is an awful lot like Nick Saban. So what that means is he's more than willing to give up the play calling duties. He's more than willing to go be a CEO. And if he feels like he needs to be more involved with the offense and what's going on with Seth Luttrell and how Seth Luttrell's grooming Jackson Arnold, he can do that. But like Nick Saban, his fingerprints are going to be on everything. Because Brent Venables is not a guy that can just give up total control of the football program. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. That does not mean that Brent Venables is an overlord, that he's standing over his coach's shoulders, that he's telling, that he's being like Lou Holtz. If you don't know anything about Lou Holtz, Lou Holtz had the reputation of being a guy that would tell his assistants to go sit in the stands while he showed them how to coach. This is not what necessarily Brent Venables is, but like anything else, when you are put in charge of something, okay, and you and your family's well being, depends on you having success, even though you are essentially the general manager or you're the guy in charge of everybody working for you, 
You're going to do everything in your power to make sure things run exactly the way you want them because that's what you believe is going to bring you success. That's what that's what Brent Venables is. And I don't have a problem with that as long as he's involved with both sides of the ball and realizes that he's responsible for both sides of the ball, unlike Lincoln Riley, then I'm fine with him doing that. And if you're looking, if you're saying to yourself, well, wait a second, Todd Bates is co-defensive coordinator and Jay Valai is now not just co-defensive coordinator, but he's also assistant head coach of defense. Well, the whole reason things like that happen, okay, is because that usually gives you more justification to give guys more money. You want to give them more money. But if they stay in the same position, like if you've got a, we'll just take a a defensive backs coach or a corners coach, and you go to your athletic director and say, all right, uh, in this case, it is Jay Belay. Hey, I'd like to give Jay Belay another 50 grand a year, which is what OU did. They bumped him from $700,000 to $750,000. Hey, I'd like to give him 50 grand a year. Well, you got to justify in the eyes of your athletic director, board of regents, all those people, why you're bumping this guy up for doing the same job, especially if there might be some criticism of the way that particular position played. And I'm not saying that that was necessarily the case at OU, but if there is some criticism, people might raise an eyebrow by like, okay, why are we giving this guy a raise? Well, you tack assistant head coach of defense onto the title. You tack co-defensive coordinator onto the title. Therefore, you can say, well, it's not that we're just giving him an extra 50 grand. We're also giving him a promotion. We're giving him more responsibility. So that's what it is. It's it's a way to give guys more money. I was looking at Todd Bates. He went from six sixty five to seven hundred thousand dollars. So nice bump from him. Now the most dramatic person who got a change in title um, was Joe John Finley. God, man, Joe John, Joe John made out, man, dude. And dude, I don't hate. Uh, in fact, I don't even like discussing guys' salaries, but this is more just to illustrate a point. Remember, Joe John Finley, tight ends coach, also named co-offensive coordinator along with Seth Luttrell. He goes from um, he he gets an an extreme compensation here. He goes to he goes from making five hundred twenty thousand dollars. Sorry, it was a little I got a little lost there. Five hundred twenty thousand dollars to $900,000, along with an annual $25,000 pay raise. Why? Because he's co-offensive coordinator, because theoretically he has more responsibility. The other thing this does is that when guys start getting in position to get other jobs or other programs come looking for them for possible vacancies that they have, and they're wondering, all right, um, you know, Jay Valai, we're looking at him to be defensive coordinator, or Todd Bates, or Joe John Finley, we're looking at him to be offensive coordinator. Well, they're going to look and see whether or not you've got a title. Now, granted, coaches are smart enough to know exactly what those titles mean. And, and you know, when you're at OU, you know, or when you look at the OU staff, you'll know Zach Alley's most likely the one calling plays or Brent Venables. And at and OU, you'll also know that Seth Luttrell's calling offensive plays. Well, you've still got that title. And that still means you did something. And you probably had part in some sort of the game planning, practice scripts, whatever the case may be. You may have got to run the room a few times, which is big, especially if you're going to be a head coach because they need to know how you're interacting with with everybody else. They need to know what it's when you are put in front of the room, how are you giving direction? 
What is that like for you? So all these things, it's really all to just kind of help these guys either A, one, get a raise, or B, when it comes time for them to get another job, it makes it a little easier because when they say, well, we see on the, you know, we know that he was co-offensive coordinator, but we also know that Seth was the one calling on the plays. What exactly were his responsibilities? You can rattle things off and it will help him to get a job. And, and, every, and everybody does something like that. So that's why you, you see all these titles. Now, assistant head coach of defense, I've got to say that's a new one. I, I honestly say in all my, look, 30 years of doing radio and a good 20 plus of those have been in the format of sports talk. And maybe I just haven't looked at too many media guides close enough. I've never known anyone who was called assistant head coach of defense or, for that matter, offense. That is a new one by me. But I am not hating on Jay Valai. I am congratulating Jay Valai. And I'm feeling pretty good about the OU defense coming into next year, despite the fact that they've got a lot of guys coming back. And I think I may have said this wrong last week as far as where OU's overall rank was defensively, because they were 109th against the pass, and they were like 40-something against the run. They were 77th overall on defense. So we can talk about how much OU's defense had improved last year. And I think with our eyes, okay, if we do the eye test, at least at the beginning of the year, we saw guys flying to the ball. We saw guys making tackles. We didn't see guys whiff like they did in the NFL this past weekend. Uh, Really quick digression here. Was that just not the absolute worst demonstration of tackling you have ever seen by anyone at the highest level of football between the Dolphins, the Cowboys, the Eagles? Oh, the Eagles. The Eagles were terrible. Steelers, all four of those teams were god-awful at tackling this past weekend. Oh, my God. This offensive revolution is killing fundamental defense We've got to go back to playing funda- we've got to go back to playing fundamental defense. Make football fundamental again. That's my that that is my make make defense fundamental again. That 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 is my mantra for 2024. In this election year, I'm telling you, make defense fundamental again. I don't want to hear about speed defense. I don't want to hear about knocking the ball out, getting turnovers. I just want to hear about guys tackling. Anyway, OU 77th in overall defense. Our eye test tells us that they did improve because we saw that at the beginning of the year. And at the end of the year, we saw them getting worn down. That being said, I'd rather I, I'd rather have experience. I'd rather have experience than try to break in a bunch of new guys. And hopefully any bad habits that these guys have gotten into over the last few years can be ironed out in spring. And then when it comes fall, they're actually ready to execute what they've learned in spring. So Hey, Zach Alley, you've got your work cut out for you, but you know Brent Venables very well. You had an opportunity to be D.C. at at, uh, ULM and uh, also at uh, Jacksonville State with Rich Rodriguez. So, hey, I'm expecting big things from you. All right? Good luck to you. We wish you the absolute best here at the uh, Sooner Schooner podcast. In other coaching news this week, this has been a really interesting week. Um. Look, I'm kind of a, like, I know that you got people out there who are recruitniks, okay? I, I would, I am, I never have been a recruitnik other than if I know the kid, I will follow them, all right? I try not to get overly excited about high school kids coming to OU 
or in some cases, even transfer portal kids. I'll get more excited about transfer portal kids if I've seen them do something, because at that point, I look at it like a free agent in the NBA or um, or the NFL. Okay, if I've actually seen you do something, then I know what you're bringing to the table. I can get excited about that. For the most part, I can't get excited about high school kids. I am more of a guy that really likes to follow coaching. That's kind of my my nerd niche right there is following coaching and looking at the fallout from when a guy leaves a particular job. How many other particular jobs does that does that affect? And look, I know that's a nerd thing. I know that's a totally nerd thing. So I would never bore you to death with talking about. Well, you know, you had this. You you had the uh, you had the quarterbacks coach who wasn't exactly an offensive coordinator. All right, so let's. Uh, uh, you had a quarterbacks coach or a receivers coach at Oklahoma State leave, and that opened that job. And Oklahoma State filled it with a guy from San Jose State, and that guy ended up like I would never bore you with that. But what happened with Nick Saban? We got to talk about. Because if you think think about this for a second, one, Nick Saban leaves. We're all happy in Oklahoma, right? Because we don't think Alabama's going to be as good under Caleb DeBoer. But what you probably didn't stop to consider when Nick Saban left is the fact that it was going to affect six different programs as far as them having to replace head coaches. Six. And that does include Alabama because they wouldn't hire Caleb DeBoer. Well, that leaves the opening in Washington. They go hire Jed Fish. He leaves Arizona. Arizona's now open. They go hire the guy from San, from San Jose State. And you're like, okay, well, that's all it affected. No, 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 no. He go, Caleb DeBoer then goes and hires the head coach at South Alabama to bring him up as a defensive coordinator. So they got to fill an opening. And then you hire the head coach at Buffalo to come down and be one of your defensive assistants. So now Buffalo's got to fill an opening. Nick Saban, truly the center of the college football universe, by just deciding to retire, he affected six different programs and forced them to make changes and who they were going to have as a head coach. I can never remember in my life an OU coaching search having that much impact. In fact, I think the only one that probably would would have been the Howard Schnellenberger hiring, at least from a head coach standpoint, because he left Louisville to come to OU. And I don't know what I, I can't remember who Louisville hired or you know what what the the domino effect was that, but that's probably the one that would have been the most impactful, because you were hiring John Blake as an assistant, you hired Bob Stoops as. Uh, he was a defensive coordinator, hired him to be head coach, so you elevated him. Same with Lincoln Riley, same with Brent Venable, so you don't quite have you know, the dramatic shifts like you did this week, but it's a pretty incredible shift in college football, and, and it's affecting a lot of programs. I mean, there's a good chance, there's a very good chance that none of those programs will be as good as they were this past year because their guys have left. There's also a chance some of them could improve. But honestly, looking at it from the OU standpoint, oh, I'm glad Kalen DeBoer has that job and Nick Saban isn't there anymore. I really am, because as long as Nick Saban was going to be there, Alabama was going to be a pain in the butt to deal with. And Alabama's history has shown that usually when a legend leaves, it takes them a while to replace them. And while Caleb DeBoer was a fine coach that got Washington to the college football final this year, he doesn't really have any ties to the South. Now, you hired the guy from South Alabama – 
okay. He, he's going to help you out a little bit. Uh, but I don't know how the guy from Buffalo help, helps you out so much. You're going to have to find ties to the South. But what's, what, what's really, what really gets me about all this is I think Alabama and OU are so much alike that Alabama feels, because the, Alabama has really adopted that national recruiting philosophy, that same recruiting philosophy that OU has. And I think the way that Alabama feels, I think what Alabama feels is they can hire anyone regardless of where they are from geographically. And you can put that person in Tuscaloosa and they are going to have success because the brand name Alabama far outweighs the locale. So in other words, what I can do is I can make you an assistant in Alabama. I can put that polo on. It's got that A on there. You with the A on, you know, on your left breast, go out to California or you go to Washington, D.C. or wherever, and everybody knows who Alabama is. Everybody wants to play for Alabama. It's no longer a local school. And I think, uh, and a matter of fact, I don't think, I know OU looks at themselves the same way. And I've said this before, you know, Alabama certainly, Alabama and Texas, they're very similar in the fact of they don't see themselves as a job for first-time head coaches. In fact, in my lifetime, Texas has never hired a first-time head coach. I can't think if Alabama has. Oh, maybe Shula was a first-time head coach when he got when he got the Alabama job. He might have been. But for the most part, Texas and Alabama see them see themselves as a program that if they're going to hire you. You better have a track record. You got to have a track record because we got to have something that we can sell to check writers. And a track record goes a long way in doing that. OU, I think OU's fascinating because I don't, Benny Owen, I don't think Benny Owen was coaching anywhere when he got the OU job. I could, I could have screwed that up. You're like, you dumbass, why are you doing this? Uh, we know that Bud Wilkinson was elevated, Barry Switzer was elevated. Now, Jim McKenzie. Jim McKenzie was was hired outside the program, but he wasn't a head coach when he got hired. Fairbanks got elevated. Gary Gibbs got elevated. Okay, and then so forth and so on. I think it's I kind of like I always wondered why that was at OU, and and at one point I thought maybe it was an athletic director situation. You know, maybe this is an athletic director thing. You know, whoever the athletic director was at the time didn't, you know, didn't really care if the person was a first was a first time head coach as long as he thought he could get the job done. But that's not the case. I mean, it's been several athletic directors that that has been the reason why, you know, that have been in charge. And OU still done it this way. And I will always wonder, you know, if Brent Venables and I don't want him, you know, if Brent Venables has to go. And I don't want him to, all right? But if Joe Castiglione has to make a change, does OU then become one of those jobs, especially now since in the, it's in the SEC, does it become too big for a first-time head coach? Does OU become too big for a guy like Brent Venables who got that job just a couple of years ago? Could he, can, can he, could he still get that job when OU gets into the SEC? Would they even remotely consider a guy like him? Would they consider coordinators or would they strictly consider head coach head coaches? Guys who had the track record. 
That'll be interesting to follow. And keep an eye on Michigan because at this point, Jim, Jim Harbaugh is interviewing with every NFL team that's more than willing to listen to him. Michigan could cause another fallout like that. However, the difference between Michigan and Alabama is Alabama didn't have anybody on staff, and it looks like Michigan has guys on staff that they trust to take that job. And obviously it'll be a, it'll be a hell of a job, but I also think that uh, Jim Harbaugh has reached his expiration date at Michigan. Uh, that whole deal, if you've not seen the whole thing about his contract – and I don't have a whole lot of time to delve into it. Jim Harbaugh essentially wants immunity. He wants immunity written into his contract that says if there are any NCAA violations or any allegations towards cheating or anything of that nature, he gets immunity from that. The Michigan can't fire him just because there's an NCAA violation committed or that they're accused of that he has total immunity from from that ever taking away from his job and you know his agent Don Yee when he put that in front of people at Michigan you know what they're thinking we can't wait for this guy to get out the door oh it's great that the fans like him but guys like that have an expiration date guys like that eventually get to the point where they're just too weird to work with or too much of a pain in the butt to deal with They've got too much baggage. Hey, they came in, gave you a jolt. You won something big, but eventually it gets time for them to move on. And I guarantee you everybody in Ann Arbor wants to see this guy out the door. At least those who matter at Michigan. Well, when I say those who matter, most of those people in administrative positions. Okay, there might be a few people on the Board of Regents that are like, we want to keep this guy around forever because he's kicking Ohio State's ass. You, know, you, may, you, be, you may have a few people um, who write checks and say, like, oh, look, I'll keep writing you checks for hundreds of thousands of dollars to millions of dollars as long as Jim Harbaugh is the coach. But people are probably so sick of dealing with this guy. They're tired of having to fight with the NFL. I am, I'll bet my house that that dude is gone, gone by the time that we record next week. And I believe that there will be a celebration in Ann Arbor as well uh, for, for those who were employed by the University of Michigan. All right, I'm out of here. Thanks for listening today. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, stay warm. May, may, may your life be a beach. May, your, may you live your life on a beach with some concoction that includes rum and Hawaiian punch. I have no idea how that would taste, but it sounds pretty good to me. Uh, And until next week, may God bless you and your families. The great Jackie Moon always says, everybody love everybody. And to quote Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Don Cornelius, love, peace, and soul.